Hi, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I am so honored to be speaking God's word with you this morning into your homes. And for those that maybe are new to Glendale Church because you've, you've come around since the live stream started, I'm Mandy Shackman. My husband is Brian Shackman, who's the pastor here at Glendale Church. And I just wanted to say before I get started that I'm just so grateful for this church community. Brian and I have been blown away by everyone coming together and using their gifts to help our church go, even when we can't physically be together. And we're just, we truly find this church to be a blessing to us. And we're just so grateful that you're here. So also before we get started, I thought since I have this chance, I would take a moment to answer two questions that I get a lot. One is a question about being married to a pastor's wife. One is more in relation to Brian and his unique sense of humor. So the first question I've gotten many times is, does Brian read through his sermon to you before Sunday? Some kind of, kind of read-through approval process that I think people think he has to go through. So that answer is no, he does not. I listen to it the first time, just like you guys get to hear it at the same time. And also our lives are like slightly more interesting than that. Not by a lot, but slightly. So the other question I get is, are Brian's stories real that he tells about his life? So I've been married to Brian almost 10 years. I've known him for 11. And all the stories that come from that span of time are true. And I think the rest of them are true. And I just think it's one of those things where one of Brian's spiritual gifts is awkward situations. For most people, that's kind of a terrible thing to have happen, but for Brian, it gives him a lot of content, so it works out. So if you've been watching our services over the last couple of weeks, you know that our sermon series is The Struggle is Real, and, and we all know for all of us in various ways the struggle has been very real in 2020. It's been an incredibly difficult year. We're learning a lot about ourselves. Some of those things we probably didn't want to know about ourselves. But every part of life has been affected since the pandemic has come to our community or wherever you live. But I've been truly just stunned as we keep going and as I keep learning how every corner of life, every job, every industry has been impacted by the pandemic. Just this week, while I was working, so I work in fundraising, and I help write letters that go to supporters, donors of organizations, and encourage them to donate more. Uh, I've started working just this week with animal organizations, and that's kind of new to me. But one of the things I had to write about this week is that during the lockdown restrictions, that also meant organizations like the Humane Society and other animal organizations could not do the spay and neuter surgeries that they're usually doing. So there's a concern that in the next year to two years, we're going to see this kind of big overpopulation of dogs and cats running around because either places that were performing those surgeries were unable to or the people that had the pets were unable to bring them into the office because of health concerns or because they weren't comfortable going into an office uh, at this time. So even, even that is impacted and even that is something to think about that's going to have possibly long-term implications. So there's so many things going on, so many difficult things to think about. And I think when any of us are going through a difficult season, 
it's hard to see the top of the mountain. And what's even harder is, even if we could see the top of the mountain, we're not sure that what's on the other side is even good. And I think for many of us who are Christians, and maybe even people that are non-Christians, the question is, why would God let this happen? Why, why do we have to go through this? This is painful, it's hard, it's gut-wrenching. Um, and we feel like God could just instantly stop this if he, if he wanted to. So why are we going through this? So today I want to talk about the metaphors in the Bible of the vine and vineyards that are prevalent throughout the Old and New Testament. God sometimes uses it, sometimes Jesus uses it. We're going to talk about that and how maybe this metaphor might give us a different perspective of when we're going through struggle, like going through a struggle, going through a difficult season. So if you've read the Bible at all, you've probably heard a reference to the vine or vineyards in the Bible. And there's many agricultural references in the Bible because it's, it was an agrarian society, so this was the metaphors that people understood. I read a book recently called Chasing Vines by Beth Moore, <clears throat> and it inspired a lot of this sermon today because it gave me a lot to sit and think about as I read it. And I read it, the first time I read it was right before the pandemic started. So Beth Moore gives this in-depth look at the vineyard metaphor in the Bible, and she starts all the way at the beginning from the soil and works her way through until the grape harvest. And one of the things that gave me pause very early on in that book is when she was talking about soil. If you were to start your own vineyard today and you were looking for the land to do that, you would not be looking for fertile soil, or at least how we think of it in terms of other plants and fruit. Vineyards grow best in rocky, sandy soil. In decent soil, you can grow grapes, but it's well known that they won't be good grapes, and consequently, it won't be wine worth drinking or wine worth making. Soil that is in stress is what produces the best grapes. So think about that for a minute. When I thought about it, it truly made me think, well, that Jesus, he really knows what he's doing when he chooses his metaphors. And it's a, it's a painful thought, but we know it's true, right? We know some people that we view as having kicked back in decent soil their whole lives, and they're kind of directionless, and they can be a mess. And we know plenty of other people that have been hurt, that have walked through unimaginable loss, and they have so much grace and love to give and are so compassionate and largely would probably give credit to the difficulties they wa they've walked through that has given them that perspective and compassion. So Jesus gives a memorable talk about vines and fruit to his disciples near the end of the Gospel of John. He's trying to tell them about the fact that he is leaving, and he's telling them how to carry on his mission in the world. So he says in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. 
Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As Beth Moore puts it, God likes watching things grow. And she adds, to a gardener, grown is overrated. It's the growing it that makes the fruit sweet. As Jesus says in the beginning of this passage, God is our gardener. If God can help us produce fruit that positively impacts our world, that's, that's the good stuff. That's the good fruit. And the question is, are we putting in the work to produce good fruit in our lives, which in turn impacts the lives around us? Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. What parts of your life need to be just burned and put into the fire, as Jesus says in verse 6? What needs to be pruned so that you can be more fruitful? And I would add, are we letting God do that pruning? We have to invite him in to do that. And that's where we will bear the most fruit. Beth Moore goes on to say, there may be days when you grow weary of climbing and you long for flatter terrain, but the slopes are overlaid with tremendous purpose. Your struggles will not be wasted, even if it feels that way now. God uses them to tilt us towards the light, to drain the sludge from our hearts with spring rains. The rocky soil in the life of a Jesus follower is not so much about failure as it is about fruitfulness. And I would add a small note there that this isn't talking about making your struggles worth it because struggles are painful and difficult and sad. So it's not about making them worth it, but about giving them purpose and finding a way forward. And thankfully, God doesn't leave us hanging with no direction on how to do this. He gives us a guide that helps us know what will produce fruit. And not surprisingly, it's called the fruits of the Spirit. So Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Beth Moore goes on to say about this passage, Without love, all fruit is plastic. The fruit of our lives in all its forms and manifold graces is truest to the vine when it's generously extended and accessible to strangers and aliens of any kind. Our fruit is sweetest to the vine when it ex extends a direct advantage to the disadvantaged and to the orphan, to the widow, and to the poor. Our fruit best reflects the vine when it deliberately leaves room on the edges for the marginalized, the cornered, the oppressed, the mistreated, the harassed, and the abused. That's where Jesus went, and that's who Jesus sought. And I would also add there, the reference to the edges is, is a biblical reference of the instruction to leave the edges of your field unpicked, unharvested for people in need to come and take from the field. 
And most importantly, something to keep in mind is that Beth Moore says, your fruit will outlast your life. So my grandpa, almost 40 years ago, was instrumental in starting a Spanish-speaking ministry at the church I grew up at, just down the road in Van Nuys. The neighborhood must have just been beginning to change, but my grandpa knew it mattered for the church to reflect the neighborhood that it was in. I sometimes think about just how visionary that was, because there was no way he could have imagined that it would evolve into an entirely, almost entirely Spanish-speaking neighborhood when, it, when he started. My grandpa's lived in LA forever. In fact, he went to Van Nuys High School. And one of my favorite things is when he tells us stories and says, and this was back in Van Nuys when it was an old country farming town. So that's how long he's lived in the area. So at my church, he helped hire a Spanish minister and was very much involved in that ministry until he retired and moved away. This was my grandpa's Sunday for decades and for all, my entire life until he retired. Sunday morning, he'd go to the English-speaking service. He'd do lunch, go back to the church for the afternoon Spanish service. He'd come home for an hour or two, come back to the church and do a Sunday night English service, and many times had to do meetings, church leadership meetings, after church on Sunday night. My grandpa does not play. He still does not play. So early on in that ministry, Gabriel Guevara and his wife Nellie came to a Spanish service. To this day, they remain incredible servants of the Lord for that church, which now is an entirely Spanish-speaking congregation. There is no English-speaking congregation there. And the Guevara family has blessed countless families. Nellie also makes amazing pupusas, but we're not going to talk about that today. The fruit of my grandpa is that so many families have been blessed over the years because the Guevaras came through the door that day. Our family's been blessed too. Our families have stayed close friends over the years, and we've helped each other get job interviews at various times. Their daughter Jasmine was a nanny for my son Carter for a summer. It's just always been connected. And a couple weeks ago, we all had a chance to see Jasmine Guevara's video of the work that she's been doing where she helps secure funding that now is a part of a huge food distribution for people in need that was meant to address this specific time during the pandemic when so many people have lost jobs or had reduced hours. And she used what she could do and her resources and her, what she had access to and her gifts and made something amazing happen. And it makes my heart just fill with, with joy. And I'm so, it's so wonderful to see. And I just think about all of the fruit that has happened because of her family and, and because of, of my grandfather as well. And you know, the, there's something else, there was other fruit that came from my grandpa starting that ministry and being an integral part of it. I grew up in a very traditional church and my grandpa's a very traditional guy. But he saw to it that our church was an accurate reflection of the neighborhood that it was in and that included doing joint services in English and Spanish. So I grow, grew up doing those a, couple, a few times a year with a translator. It showed me to have an interest and show care and respect to cultures different than my own, and that there's an incredible blessing from letting a different perspective in. So our fruit is produced 
in the little moments, in the countless decisions we make every day. It's showing up every Sunday afternoon and, and being with a group of, of new people that you didn't know before and learning the language so you could communicate with them. All these things add up and they, it's substantial. My grandpa thankfully is still with us today. But when that day comes, his fruit will outlast his life. So what are you giving your life to? No, seriously. What are you a part of that involves you being poured out and blessing someone else? It doesn't have to be something huge. In fact, it's usually those small things. So I'll tell you another story. Some of you might know about me that out of college, my career goal was to be a professional sports writer. And I did that for a couple of years. I, out of college, got a job as like a junior reporter for MLB.com. So I got to write for the Padres and the Dodgers. It was a great gig. And by the way, I always like to tell my joke that I think I'm the only person in human history to go from being a sports writer to a pastor's wife. I have to be the only one. So not long into my time writing for the Padres, there was a controversy that happened at a Padres game. During the game, it was against the Mets, and the camera pans into the dugout and shows Kelly Calabrese, who was a massage therapist. She was on the coaching staff for the Padres, and coaching staff gets to sit in the dugout. And I think, this was 2006, I think that she was the first female to sit in the dugout for a game as part of the coaching staff. So, Mets broadcaster, who is Keith Hernandez, you might know him from Seinfeld fame, or because he was a famous Mets ball player, he was a broadcaster, and he was broadcasting that game. And when the camera showed Kelly on the air, Keith Hernandez says, who was the girl in the dugout with the long hair? And by the way, Keith, she was in her 30s, so she's not a girl. What's going on here? You've got to be kidding me. Only player personnel in the dugout. My personal favorite part's coming. I won't say that women belong in the kitchen, but they don't belong in the dugout. So, okay, Keith. So after the game, Bruce Bochy, who's the manager of the Padres, he has not heard what he said because it was on the broadcast, but he's asked about it after the game. So he has no time, no context. And as we know, even athletes, coaches, managers, front office people who have lots of time and lots of fancy people to craft statements for them in moments like this, they end up messing it up. But Bruce Bochy says, Kelly is a part of this ball club. She's part of the training staff. I don't know the actual comments, I just heard about it. But she's been here for a while and played a major role with this club in getting guys ready to play a ball game. I didn't think gender was even an issue anymore. So it wasn't about me, but I felt Kelly's pain a little bit. I was a 22-year-old female in a locker room full of men. I wanted so badly to blend in and not stick out like a sore thumb. If I'm honest with myself, I battled a lot of insecurity during this time because I wanted people to respect me and not care that I was a woman, but that was, of course, impossible. But I had moments like this that saw me through, like with Bochi. So I didn't like to hang out in the locker room if I didn't have to. So if I had a player specific that I needed to talk to, I would wait. Otherwise, I would stand out in the dugout. And every game, 162 games a year, a Major League Baseball manager stands in the dugout at one point before the game, and reporters get together around him and fire off questions that they're, for stories they're writing and get quotes from him. So 
I was in the dugout waiting for Bochi to come out and for all the other reporters to come out and have this kind of press conference. So it's a day later, it's a day after all this has happened and it's a big controversy all in the news everywhere. And I'm sitting in the dugout by myself and Bochi walks in, he sees me, makes a look of fake surprise or fake outrage and says, are we letting women in the dugout now? He gets a big goofy grin on his face, gives me a playful nudge and a wink, and then walks away. And shortly after, everyone else comes out to interview him. So I checked the data that, and it was in late April that this happened, which means Bochi had seen me around for about six weeks. I wasn't an old friend, and I even confirmed for the purposes of this sermon, he didn't even have any daughters, he has two sons, so he's not even like a girl dad that could see his daughters when he looked at me. It was a small move. It was such a small move. He'd never remember it today. But it immediately communicated to me, hey, I'm glad you're here, and I support you being here. And when people say stupid and even offensive things, I've got you. He made the point, however brief, to make me feel welcome. He just decided to be a nice person in that moment and reach out to someone he thought might be uncomfortable and let them know they belong. And whether he did that with a load of intention or it was just a fleeting moment, isn't that what we should do? And especially as Christians, isn't that what we should do? We should be leading the way in this in our communities and doing those small things, those small kindnesses to reach out and make someone feel like they belong or that they have somewhere to belong. Yet often, we fall short. Boji was the most powerful person in the room I was a junior reporter, and a 30-second interaction changed everything. And especially for those of us in positions of power, this is absolutely what we should be doing. I knew he was in my corner, and I cannot tell you the relief I felt in that moment and moving forward. I was not treated like a lot of female reporters were treated at various times. I had weird moments, but I knew in that moment I could pull him aside and tell him if someone was giving me a hard time, and he would have listened, and he wouldn't have dismissed it. And I also want to point out, Bruce Bochy is an old-school, good old-boy baseball dude, and he still took this moment and really communicated to me that it was okay and that he was happy I was there. So sometimes it's complicated, and sometimes it's hard. But honestly, a lot of times it's not hard. Most of us listening to this are Christians and leading our lives with the fruits of the Spirit in mind would bear untold fruitfulness in our lives and the lives of those in our community. Wouldn't it be great if regardless of the places we disagree, of where we differ in opinion, we could communicate with a wink and a nudge or a socially distanced high-five, elbow bump situation, whatever we can do right now, wouldn't it be great if we could just communicate to people we're on their team? But it means doing the work. It can mean entertaining the possibility that we might have been wrong about some things or that we've done things wrong and admitting it. Just because it was fruitful to do it that way at one time, 20 years later, God might have a different plan and a different garden he wants to go through, grow through us. Your fruit 
will outlast your lifetime. In one of my favorite parts of the book, Beth Moore talks to a friend of hers that happens to be a soil expert. So for me, I'm looking at dirt and I think it's dirt. But a soil expert is someone who knows there's a million things happening in the soil that make a plant grow or that make a plant not grow. And when she asked her friend about it, he said, all I can tell you is the top of the plant doesn't lie. And that's a end quote. The top of the plant is a direct reflection of everything going on underneath in the soil. Everything factors into the plant and the fruit. And if it's good fruit or bad fruit, or if it grows anything at all. Is the struggle real? Yes. 2020 is incredibly hard in so many ways for all of us at one point or another. But we're still called on to love and we're still called on to make a difference. During hard times and difficult seasons, I think our tendency is to draw in within ourselves, and I totally feel that. But let's be the people who reach out to the person who feels alone or uncomfortable or that they don't have anywhere to belong. We have to put in the work, my friends. As a church community, let's do the big things and the small, everyday things that bear good fruit. Let's do the work to ensure this place and the people who we come in contact with get from us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let's let them know we're on their team no matter who they are or where they come from. That's our work. And guys, that is the work of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that we can come together in this way and still learn about your word and think about what it means in our lives. And I want to pray a blessing over anyone watching this that we would think about bearing good fruit in our own lives, in the lives of our friends, families, coworkers, and our communities, and that we have that power to bear good fruit in our own lives and let that spread, and that it will outlast our lives. And I pray that we can be, individually and as a church community, a place where good fruit is grown, and that it's spread for generations to come. And thank you for, for blessing us, and for giving us hope when we're struggling, and for doing that pruning in us when it's needed. And we're just so thankful, God, for for how you've blessed us and help us to hold tight to the vine and to not lose our way and to stay as attached as we can and hold each other and work together and lift each other up. Thank you for Jesus and thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. And this prayer is in Jesus' name, amen.